Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 72 of Death Readers, the podcast where we read through books for the first time. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, we're going to be reading through Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park. Uh, this is our second episode of, uh, of that book, and we're going to be going through it page by page where we take notes along the way. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be going through ch- uh, ch- chapters 10 through 19, so this book doesn't really have numbered chapters so if you can check your edition it's it's the hammond chapter around what i believe to be page 60 down through the tour chapter around page 108 yeah check your numbers or your pages but between hammond and the tour uh this is also a little difficult or could be a little difficult because some of these chapter names recur but uh we'll try our best uh, Michael Crichton's no longer alive, so we can scold him for doing this in such a... You... Slipshod? <laughs> Chaotic? Yeah, I... Uh, I, I, I was gonna say something like pretentious. <laughs> pretentious? Yeah, I think this is a pretentious way to have chapters. It's very much like... It's very much Game of Thrones. It's very much like... Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm such good. a I'm such a fucking rock and roll author. I don't even have chapter numbers, and sometimes you know what? Fuck it. My chapters are named the same thing. <laughs> Do with the grandpa. Meanwhile, both the guys I reference are either dead or ancient. So, <laughs> so um, did you have any? Uh, what do you call that stuff? Housekeeping. housekeeping. We don't have any housekeeping this week, and our last episode, our inaugural post Harry Potter. Jurassic Park podcast episode took us a little bit longer than uh, to get started than than we'd like. So this episode, we're just going to get right into the books from HP to JP. Yeah, like yeah, like if you if you were listening to to Death Readers in HP, you're listening to all the Harry Potter books. Post HP is what we call JP. It's like the difference between Cretaceous and Triassic, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, H- PHP is JP. I agree, JK. <laughs> uh, that sucked. Um, let's move on. Uh, the- <laughs> let's do. Let's move on. Let's move I, all the way. I on. hated that. Um, so, uh, <laughs> okay. Well, then let's get started. Thanks for listening and welcome to the show. Uh, without further Hammond, that'll bring us to chapter ten. Hammond. You really, you really threw me with that when you said without further Hammond. I I'm was self, like, I don't. I'm, I'm self conscious about saying I do. I do. Adio. I do. I'm I'm self conscious about it because of the last time. But, but that was a Jew. So I'm just gonna have to remove it from my vocabulary. I'm working on it. You have to bid it a Jew. No, I wouldn't. I would remove That's it. It's a different word. It's a different word than a do. I'm removing both. Oh fuck. All right. Well, without further Hammond. Uh, my first page notes on page 60. Go for it, man. Uh, <laughs> so in this part of the book is when they're, <laughs> I think it's Gennaro is reflecting on the idea that Hammond had a tiny elephant. He, yes. a, he, he, oh. he engineered a dwarf elephant. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought like, you know, re- reanimating dinosaurs is cool. Right. But, like, genetically engineering a dwarf elephant seems really cruel. It does. Um, Although I thought, I loved how much it actually told us about Hammond, that he he invented this song and dance of 
implying of look what we've done with this technology when really it was this other technology. Um, that was, and this, I have another note on this later, but like it's not needlessly complex, but it's complex in a way another author might have streamlined for fear of, you know, losing the thread or, or just wanting to get to the meat of their idea. But th- this actually creates a depth of character I really liked. He, he, he uh, spent time having this little, uh, this outcropping, if you will, or, or a cul-de-sac of character, and I liked it. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 still the flea circus, as somebody yes. said. Good, good, good call. Because um, I haven't seen that movie in a while, and I forgot about the flea circus bit. Yeah, this whole place is an illusion. Um, the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the, I think I think that uh, that's what I took away from it. Is like, oh yeah, it's one of the parts about Hammond that I feel like is odd in the movie is that flea circus bit because he reflects upon it like fondly like it's he it was a like it was a fun lark like like he's not really fully grasping how much of a con man he is right and he, he believes his own story yeah and here we get to see somebody else who sees that behavior in him and goes oh you're a con man oh you're totally a fucking con man you're donald trump you're like a a, a piece of shit who's selling a not real thing but you're selling it with you're a huckster you're 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 sing, selling a lot of blunder and hot air yeah. like and that's what people are buying from you because Your the things you actually sell yes except except without the hubris with sure. or without the excuse me without the self-reflection mm-hmm. at least oz had like the capacity to go dude i'm just a hack magician i'm like a i i i failed fucking upward okay <laughs> which is the same thing but hammond and trump don't have that like at this point, at least in the story and in real life, have that capacity to reflect uh, upon upon the their personalities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then again, I think it's honestly probably part of the it's it's a crucial aspect of being one of those people, though. Be like in order to be Vince McMahon, in order to be, uh, you know, fucking P.T. Barnum, you have to like you have to not give a fuck. Mm-hmm. about other people right and you have to only care about yourself to the point where you're willing to like you know go it's like i basically view all those people as basically being like jake gyllenhaal's character in nightcrawler yep where they're they're they are on a path towards success and the only reason they're going to continue to succeed is if they are ruthless and like don't ever stop um and that's, I mean, that's those those people I've mentioned. They've succeeded because of that. No matter how many, <laughs> as as Derek Zoolander put it, no, no matter how many pe- uh, people they leave bloodied and dying along the way. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think that that that's Hammond, and that's and that's this moment where we can see that in him. And if we, I wonder how much of that is re- is requires us to have that perspective of a real life huckster to mm-hmm. really understand that that's the moment where, or that's part of what we're getting out of this uh, character development um, is, is that understanding. Uh, although I do, I do think that it does also double down in his childlike wonder because it always has imagery of him, like with his short legs, you know, kicking them in the air when he's sitting in the chair. Yes. That was, that was very fun. Um, yeah. I, I, not, not, just as a counterpoint to that idea of, maybe he's not as quite as calculating as he could otherwise be perceived. There is still some wonderment in right. him. Right. Yeah. He, he, I, 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 he's like, 
yeah, he's got that like Willy Wonka aspect, but like Willy Wonka in the boat when they're in the tunnel. <laughs> like, like <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> that is fair. Yeah, I wonder if there's an archetype that is that, like the eccentric, rich, like uh, sort of amusement park owner. Because like Wonka's not, he doesn't own an amusement park, but he basically does. Yeah, it's basically um, one. It's, well, it's his, I mean. It's a factory it, for candy. It's, but it's but also it's, his own personal amusement park. He doesn't care about sharing true. with other people. He, the candy's for other people, but the park is for right. him. Yeah. I'm sure that there's no reason why Michael Crichton compared Hammond to Disney early on. <laughs> and, and and the movie did it, too. Anyway, we can move on from that note. Uh, I feel like I'm rambling. Uh, Gennaro has kids. Well, a kid. That a was, kid, um, yep. A, a daughter? Yep, daughter. Little girl had a birthday. That was hard to read. Why was it hard to read? Because he's going to fucking goes? die. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, and, and knowing that, like, you know, it just, like, the way the way capitalism works is you're gonna, you have to sacrifice time with your family to provide for your family so they can survive. Well, I mean. Like, that fucking sucks. Sure. Sure. But, I mean, Michael Crichton, if, if it's not a woman, likes to flesh out characters. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't have any problem fleshing out a woman. Wow. Okay, well, yeah, I'll let you think about that one. <laughs> I mean, he's no Thomas Harris, but... All right, you, pull, you pulled it back. These are book jokes. It's a show <laughs> about books, and we're making book jokes. Um, we might be spineless and walk these jokes back but it's okay because our backs are hard i don't know making book Um, puns you're better than that i might not be (laughs) (laughs) let's turn the page to our next notes kindle page 66 uh 12 animals projected to 238 it shows the scope i thought of how how masterfully things can go wrong do they ever address that the animals? You said twelve, right? Twelve was what when he was talking to him. He's like, he's like, and you were pre- you were planning on having twelve, and Hammond's like, we've got two hundred and thirty-eight, and that's specifically individual animals, not species. Yes, yes, yes. So I think my they have question 15 is, how- species? They they mentioned that at some point or other too. Right. My question is the way that the DNA works. Mm-hmm. Are those all the same? Genetically, the same animal. Like, I, of the same species. I, I don't know if they're going to talk about that. Um, that seems like that would certainly be how it started. They might pra- start playing around with, can we tweak something here or there to make them slightly different? Um, but yeah, it does well, seem like it's it's going to be a park full of dino clones. I mean, which it yeah, is, we, but you know what I mean. I know. Yeah, I know what you mean. You mean of, of, of the, the same exactly animal. exactly like, the same Dilophosaurus. Right. Yeah. Right. If you go, if you went, like, if you went to the Octomom's house, it's just like the same kid. Yes. Um, I don't think that's how that works. No, that's how that works. <laughs> I think those were, no, they were all different eggs. Anyway, no, it's, it's um, like Orphan Black. <laughs> um, it's like it's like Oblivion, the Tom uh, Tom Cruise movie. Absolutely. Um, spoilers. Was that about clones? The, uh, what was that about clones? Have you not seen that movie? I have not. I assumed it was a Groundhog Day thing. Uh, spoilers from this point on about the film Oblivion. If you don't want to have the film from 2012 Oblivion spoiled, the blockbuster hit that no one saw. Also known as Live, Die, Repeat because of a misleading poster. Not the same film. Um, 
Yeah, it is. <laughs> Tom Cruise? No, it isn't. Emily Blunt? Nope. What am I thinking of? Oblivion is... You're thinking of... of uh, uh, a different movie that I haven't seen yet. But I... Uh, pretty... No, we're going to look this up. These are different films. That The film you're talking about is more of a Groundhog Day thing. It's not what I, the movie I'm talking about. The movie I'm talking about has... Um, Morgan Freeman in it. The movie you're talking about doesn't. But also Tom Cruise? Yes. And the future? Yes. There, I, There is a movie with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt in the future that had a poster that said Live, Die, Repeat, and it was called something. It's not called Oblivion. No, no, Oblivion's I, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I, the, as you're saying it, the movie, the, 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 the trailer is coming back to me. That's the one where he's like rappelling down into a big cavern. Yeah. And the separatists are down there or something. This is a podcast about Jurassic Park. Um, yeah, no, uh, you are not wrong. Oh my god! Oblivion is not the movie I was thinking of. So, so that's spoilers about from this point on about Oblivion. <laughs> yes, the big reveal at the end of that movie. By the way, a movie I actually really like. I think that's a, a good movie. Uh, apparently, that makes me a moron. But I, I'm not saying you said that. I'm saying the things I've heard about people criticizing that movie makes it sound like people who like it are dumb. I like that movie. Okay. Um, the The reveal at the end is that the character Tom Cruise is playing is a clone who has been programmed to basic. It's really poor, pl- um, like planning for a clone because he basically is like he's cloned to almost last only two weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like the the premise of the film is that he has to work on like figuring out how to get his motivation to do his job is like you get to go on vacation in two weeks and so like he's constantly like being reminded of that and then like at, at the twist at the end is they're replacing him with another version of him who's also i think being told two weeks so it feels like so is this just moon it's a lot like moon it's it's a lot like moon okay um yeah anyway we should talk about this book uh i don't remember <laughs> why we got on that tangent but clones living just- together yeah, clones. That's right. Let's finish that thought. Um, <laughs> the uh, it, it certainly seems like in the it, it, what I'm expecting is in the future we're going to hear about these dinosaurs being able to breed, and that seems like it would itself be catastrophic. Uh, just from what I know about interbreeding and like, if you're, especially if you're talking about like a clone having sex with itself somehow, uh, and breeding with itself somehow, mm-hmm. like. It's already like the fantasy of genetic cloning dinosaurs or genetically cloning dinosaurs and things like that. It's already pretty flimsy, but like <laughs> the fantasy of banging adding, yourself. Yeah, the the fantasy of banging and impregnating yourself is sounds very manga. God, I hope that's I hope that's not the episode title. Um, <laughs> that was very amusing. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, I foresee problems with that unless they cover it. And all they would have to do is say something like, no, we got like multiple samples of the same dinosaur species from different bugs that bite them. And it's like, God, you guys have a lot of different bugs, don't you? <laughs> all right, whatever. Fine. I don't care. I mean, um, nature finds a way. I guess life finds a way. Um, Damn it. I always do that. I'm the worst. What's your next note? That's covered it. Uh, I have an overview of this chapter. Yeah, go for it. That uh, I really like this relationship between Hammond and Gennaro, or at least the way it's presented, mm-hmm. because it's it's like distant, but it's also still kind of familiar. Like they haven't spoken in a bunch of years, but like they're still like familiar in this in this odd sort of way. Um, 
or in, they're familiar in a really distant kind of way. I don't have a better words for it, but it, it's it's just kind of like a, a very particular relationship. Like I've somehow understand it, but also I'm having a hard time describing it. Like uh, I guess it's like if you see a cousin, that's how it feels. It's like you, you guys are familiar with how you're related. You haven't seen each other in a long time. You don't interact that often, but you know who each other is. Yep. And you have uh, experiences that you've had together and you're going to move forward kind of thing. Uh, but like, I really like the moment where Hammond goes into his, like reflexively goes into his sales pitch that he forgot that he said in front of Gennaro many times. Like, and I like that Gennaro just listens sort of reflects on how silly that is as if he'd never heard this thing before, Mm -hmm. but also just lets it go. Right. It's, it's like, I don't know if you know people like this, but like, and this is not, oh God, Rob, this is not me trying to make some sort of underhanded complaint about you. Um, just heading that off at the pass. (laughs) I have nothing to say to that because wheels had already been spinning. So, (laughs) so I was already, Um, it's a fair critique. Yeah. Um, but it's like when you're not critiquing me, you have critiqued me. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm saying I acknowledge your masterful move. Thank you. You should do what you just did more often. But I can always up in the board. <laughs> You're not wrong. Thank you. I'm glad to know that I'm not wrong. Um, but it's like when you you see somebody uh, infrequently, but every time you see them, they make the same joke or they tell the same anecdote that you've heard them do over and over and over again. And every time you're just like, like you, it's impolite to go, dude, <laughs> I know you've told me this. We, I've heard this from you before. You have more stories than this, right? Like, like, <laughs> and th- and that isn't a critique about you. I, 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 that's, I, that's what I was trying to head off at the pass. I understand. Um, but there are people in my life and I'm sure people in your life whose stories you've heard and you go, yeah, yep. Happened today. In fact. Mm-hmm. Really? Was it me? No. Oh. Did I ever tell you about that time I got irritated by hearing someone tell the same fucking joke over and over again? Was that, that me? Sucks. No, it was uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> no, my my dad makes the same conversation with my kid every time. Oh, point, really? Like, That's like, fascinating. It's like like, but not even like a joke, not even like a dad joke, just like a. So when you when you, when you go to high school, you eventually go into West, right? That's where I went. I'm like. Do you, are you so disengaged that you don't remember that you, this is like the extent, the breadth of your conversation with her every time? Fuck, Sometimes man. I wonder if people who I used to think were like vapid or dumb are just broken hearted. And cause like the, what you're describing to me sounds like someone who's just on autopilot mm-hmm. and like you're saying disengaged, but like what I'm, I don't take it as like disengaged from her. I take it as disengaged from life. Like oh, someone that sounds very likely like, yeah. Like someone who's just like, I, I just, what's the point? Like, I, like, I can't really, Oh, he's very much a golem figure. Uh, Oh wow. To me. I, it's just tragic. Like, like I try sometimes, but get nothing back and you're clearly making yourself miserable, but there's nothing I can do. Yeah. Um, it's a little different with me hmm. where I, uh, will I'll hear someone tell the same joke and I find myself unable to laugh anymore. So like, like I'll hear like someone I'll love will tell me 
the same fucking joke and I'll just have to look at them and like stare at them and then no one it'll like oh, this look will go over their face like why isn't this like landing like why am I not like killing right now and it's like because dude like I've heard this like like at a certain point you only continue to read green eggs and ham because you're reading it to someone who's never read it before right like it's not for you anymore <laughs> it's for them I'm never gonna tell anybody that joke so you're just telling me that joke because you think it has some sort of social weight and it doesn't or or, or maybe I'm just I'm just trying to instantly recreate a moment where we shared a thing no, because no. that that that's not that's like that'd be like, hey, remember that time when this happened, or like oh, that's no, that. like like a private joke between two people where you're like, this is not that not, kind not of that, joke. Okay, okay, no, no, no that's this fair. isn't that's fair. This isn't like we. I, I listened to our last episode and I I referenced that I was uh, frog DNAing something yep. and you laughed. That is like referencing a thing. Like sure. that's referencing a thing we've both experienced. And then the, the extra like funny part about it is I'm finally using it in reference to Jurassic Park itself. Yes. So like it's that is like a shared wavelength thing. This would be like if I if I had a joke I always told at the bar, mm-hmm. but we were always at the bar together. And I always heard the same fucking joke. And like at some point I would fucking snap and that's when our story would actually begin <laughs> because like <laughs> because that would be interesting you have me because really engaged conflict there. Like, oh, breeds, i want to hear that story breeds... <laughs> yeah like well i'll write it for you um <laughs> that's my notes for chapter 10 we got deep on that chapter i i maybe we maybe we went wide instead of deep i don't know man i can't tell sure. with us um are you good to move on let's let's, let's move on well that brings us to chapter 11 Chateau. I'm so glad you have to say that word. I, <laughs> I looked it at up. It. I've got the phonetic pronunciation written next to my chapter title. S H O H hyphen T O U. Fantastic. Uh, I, um, and the reason is, and the reason I, I'm so glad that you were able to do that is because, because I realized. Okay, so I love this movie. Mm-hmm. I love Jurassic Park the movie. And this word is used in the film, I think, maybe exactly once, maybe twice. Is it? But I know I for, for sure it's used once. Okay. It's the it's the moment in uh when when Hammond is at the dig site in in Mon- Montana meeting Grant and Sadler, and he's like he 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 like hoists himself up on their uh counter their countertop or, or somewhere. He knows his way around a kitchen. Because he knows his way around the kitchen, and he says something like, "I have a jet standing by a chuckle," <laughs> and he, and all he's and, and how he delivers that line is like that. He goes chuckle, and I have never been able to know what the fuck that was because <laughs> it it just I, I assumed it was some sort of like Scottish slang, right? Like I assumed it was some sort of like like you know idiom from from northern UK. Mm-hmm. And I just let it go. And it's just like, I'll never know what that means. But it, to me, in my head, in my heart, I, I hear it and I go, Cha-cha! and I think it's hilarious. But now... <laughs> it's a airfield I, in Montana, at least. Yep. <laughs> so wait, is Attenborough Scottish? Or Are they not? Just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I my, my two real experiences with him are this and Great Escape, where he's playing very much, you know, 
British upper crust. I don't know if he just decided to make Hammond Scottish for some reason. Maybe Hammond's a Scottish name. I know nothing about why. Because they, they certainly don't go out of their way to say Hammond a Scottish industrialist in the book. Right. At least they haven't yet. So I don't think it's that. Well, maybe you have homework now. Maybe I do. I'm looking to Richard Attenborough. I don't know if... Well, my, my thought was, you know, I'm thinking of uh, David. Right. I'm thinking of David Attenborough and trying to think if he sounds Scottish to me. And I'm ashamed to say that I've never watched anything by David Attenborough. What? I said there was shame. Did I not? Dude. <laughs> Do you do you not like like nature documentaries? I, I don't. I, 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 they're not something I have gone out of my way to experience. Wow. Um. That sucks. Sorry. What an uh, unfulfilled life you have. <laughs> uh, I've always kind of preferred the Carl Sagany approach to things, documentaries. Um, but even then, I'm 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 vastly under. Represented, underrepresented, underrepresented in the documentary circuit. I mean, I'm not like overrepresented, but I love me some some Attenborough. Like, I have, I think, in my house, I have physical copies of at least three collections of films <laughs> that. or of series of BBC docu series that he's made. Mm-hmm. At least three. Um, and I say at least because I can't, I genuinely can't remember if he did human planet or if somebody else did that. Uh, I mean, I know I have, uh, planet earth and I pretty sure I have planet earth too. And I'm pretty sure I have frozen planet. And I know I have this, uh, he did this awesome three pack, uh, 3d blu-ray, uh, uh, series, um, that, oh, they're so cool. But, uh, to further compound my uh, guilt, yeah, I found uh, it. I have Planet Earth. Oh, we we got it maybe as a maybe not a don't wedding say present. Wedding. Oh God! I said maybe not. I don't think it was, but it was an early Christmas. Uh, but we got it on DVD and never got around Ooh. to it. And then I got the Blu-ray player, and I never wanted to watch it on DVD because it's apparently you know famously gorgeous. Yes. So that's by. Uh. I could lend it to you, but you don't sound like you would really watch it. I I mean... Don't you have... Isn't that a... Uh, I mean, I, I would wonder how much of his stuff, if anything, is on Disney+. Plus. Oh, that's a good point. Um, but man, you're breaking my heart with... With this new reality. It doesn't matter. It's not your thing. It's okay that you don't want to be exposed to the wonders of nature. I get it. Um... I get it. Speak. Oh, this is this will tie us back okay. into Jurassic Park. Today, I had to go uh, out to my mom's house. I had to, uh, I had to drive thirty mile, uh, thirty minutes out of town to go to my mom's house uh, and and do some work for her on her house mm-hmm. today. So we get out there and we're driving. We we park in front of the house and and uh, at the house is uh, uh, we drive up and as we drive up, there's a woodpecker like on the side of the house, like on the siding, mm-hmm. like holding on with its talons on the siding. And it's like, I'm like, and, 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 and my wife is like, Oh, look at that woodpecker or look at that bird. And I'm like, Oh, that's a woodpecker. That's cool. And we're like looking at it 
and sort of watching it. And we just sort of stop doing what we're doing. We just sort of turn into like we're watching a, a bird do something cool. And what it's because I was initially thinking, is it like drilling holes into the house? Is it doing that? Because I don't know if woodpeckers do that or not. But if they do, holy shit, that's terrifying. Um, and we're watching it. And what it was doing was it start. We started watching it like holding onto the siding. And then it was like on the on the corner of the house. So the way the siding works is there would be like a big like, you know, plank of wood. And then there would be this gap between the two planks of wood that was honestly about like an inch thick mm-hmm. that had a, another plank of wood behind it. So it has this sort of like texture of like uh, wood recessed wood, wood recessed wood. And it goes down like that. Um, and that means on the on the corners, you have like this siding piece in the corner that covers all of it. But when it when the siding overlaps on the recessed piece of wood, there's a gap between them. And so this bird was hopping between the gaps, systematically testing the gaps, going down and, and peeking into the holes on the, on the, on the covering for the, for the edge of the siding and was like digging its, its beak in there to search for food like bugs or squirrel stashes or something and it went through every single one till it got down to the to the bottom and then it went back up checked them again and then moved to a different section of the house to do it on that section and we watched this whole thing happen and i thought holy shit that's a fucking dinosaur this is terrifying like this thing and i was like watching and i started just saying jurassic park lines to my wife i was like there's it's it's systematically testing the fences for weaknesses it's <laughs> it remembers like it's it learned this thing mm-hmm at some point it discovered to do how to do this it it got rewarded it learned from that reward that i should keep doing this and now it's doing it as a part of its like hunting gathering like techniques i it terrified me <laughs> really freaked me out birds birds are dinosaurs and it's really fucking weird it's a good thing we um, don't have them uh you know six feet or bigger We do. Well, a couple, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I Come on. know that they exist. I mean, like, <sighs> you know what they, I, but you know what I mean. Come on. I mean, uh, the birds that are that big, can, they, they, they can't tear into you. Yes, they can. What, like an ostrich? Yes, look at their feet. No, uh, their feet are big, goofy feet. They're like Big Bird. Sure. Maybe you know, they have Big Bird's feet. <laughs> You probably are thinking of Big See, this Bird. this is what happens Isn't when you real. don't watch David Attenborough documentaries. God, you need to watch. Okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're never going to You're never going to be in the cool places David Attenborough is and need to know the things he knows about them. You're never going to need to know about the Great Rock or the, uh, God, he did this, he did this one in like the 50s in, in Madagascar. There was this bird in Madagascar that was enormous and it had these huge eggs and they found this like these shattered remains of this huge egg and they put it all together and had this huge egg um anyway yeah it's not important nature's not amazing um <laughs> you you would have no interest in it uh the uh so i <laughs> but so that's that's again reminding me that you know birds are dinosaurs and uh we should move on with our notes about Jurassic Park okay first page notes page 64 i don't really have a page note per se but uh i found it interesting that grant and sadler don't like gennaro yes even though we just built up gennaro as a character with like human interests and a family and a daughter which is something that books don't 
usually do to have him then be turned into the, oh, they just liked him instantly. And that yeah. just kind of goes more, again, to the complexity of the characters in this book. And I really enjoyed it. I really appreciated that. I think that's basically my note, too, is like I, I also kind of perceive this as another moment of like uh, perceived or perceptible misogyny. But like a, like another one of those moments, like the idea of the way Gennaro, I think, talks to Sadler is like. Was this? Um, I was. Th- I thought this was even before that. When because Grant shook oh. his hands like I don't like him, and then Ellie came up and and Ellie was uh, reacted, and Grant observed her reacting to him, and he's like, oh, he doesn't like her. He, he she doesn't like him either. Yeah, I, 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 I think really know that's there was what I'm with Malcolm about. in a bit, but I don't remember really which part of the note I'm talking about. But sure. my my, I know there was another moment where it, and I think it was the Gennaro moment where something happened that f- felt like is Michael Crichton being a misogynist, but then he has somebody else go, hey, fuck that behavior. And then it was like, God, I can't. Right. He's doing such a good job of writing misogyny, but then also doubling back on it and going like, yeah, but that's stupid to make me think like. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it, I, yeah. I've got, I think I have a note on that coming up too. It's tricky. It's hard to tell. Yeah. All right. What's your next note? That, that's it for uh, Shata. Me too. That brings us to chapter 12. Target of opportunity. I have two on page 68. I I just found it interesting that they chose to... There's a line in this this moment where... uh, I think it's the line that Dodson says about how much they can charge. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost verbatim what they say in the movie but instead of giving it to uh, to dodgson they give it to gennaro mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i thought that was a really interesting it's interesting to read through this book and see the lines they chose to put in the screenplay like yes. which ones they cherry picked and we're like this is a great line we're going to use that we're going to use this one we're going to yeah. use that one and it's interesting especially when they use them and then they just give them different to different characters because the lines are pretty good right um it's an interesting like they don't just want to film examination an of like engine that. scene or biosyn scene so they get right. that line which still encapsulates the avarice um, to Gennaro. It's just an interesting like example of the adaptation process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I no, there's a couple is, of those is, in is, this. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting that while we know where this is all going, uh, it's interesting to have Injun's purpose laid out in this chapter. Um, and I thought, I thought, I thought this with them, all the people at BIOS and discussing everything, it seemed like it was, it was a way to, to give us, as far as the public knows, this is all the things that would stop us from cloning dinosaurs. So we don't know right. what he's doing or how he's doing it. So when Hammond reveals his twist, it'll be super clever and genius. Right. Um, so it was, it was it was a cool way to like show the competitor, but also to like more exposition kind of snuck in. Yeah. And then my only other note on this was, um, and they, they mentioned it later. I still don't think it's properly touched on. Grinding up dinosaur bones to get fragments of DNA. Dinosaur bones are essentially like stone. Rock. Right. Because right? bones have eroded over yes. the millennium and, and the cavities were filled with stone and that that's what is left. That's what a fossil is. When you see dinosaur yes. bones, they're not actually bones. Right. So how could you grind up stone to get fragments of DNA? Um, I think what they... I, I don't really I'm not, I don't know enough about the subject to answer it. Sure, but I think what the answer was is that there are still fragments of bone in the stone. Okay, and that's what they're grinding up. Okay, 
Maybe. I don't I don't I don't know enough about it. So, um my I have another note on page 68. Uh the concept of they 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 proposed this concept of pygmy dinosaurs as pets for children in this uh chapter. Yeah. And I I I have a strong suspicion that we will never have a better opportunity in this podcast or this book review to discuss the direct-to-video film Prehysteria. <laughs> so I figure now's the time to talk about Prehysteria. Let's do it. Is that, is that got one of the Home Improvement kids in it? No. Okay. No. There are actors in that movie that you probably could could recognize if you tried really hard. I, I feel like but, I, I certainly I saw the cover a lot. And I feel like yeah. that because it was like it was one of those like painted versions of the kid, right? Yes. And I yeah. remember that face and I remember it looking familiar and I don't know why. It was Blue Moon, right? I think so. Full Moon. Yeah, Full Moon, Full Moon. Well, they full, had offshoots, full, so it could be either. Yeah, Full Moon uh, Entertainment, I think, uh, is a small video movie making company in the in the 90s. Maybe they still exist. I don't know. Uh, they... I used to watch them for their <laughs> naked vampire movies, but you got right, but a kids movie out of it, which is weird. I got the kids, the kids, I got full moon for kids. Um, <laughs> so prehysteria was a, was a, as far as I can tell, a huge success for them. It was a massively rented VHS at the time. And it came out as part of the fallout of how massively successful Jurassic Park was, especially mm-hmm. with kids. Mm-hmm. And so there was a market for make a movie about dinosaurs and kids that isn't about the dinosaurs eating the kids. Right. Um, or trying to. So the premise of prehysteria is th- that there is a guy who has discovered some ancient like Mayan ruins or something and in them are five perfectly preserved dinosaur eggs. And he takes them like kind of like, uh, you know, Daenerys Targaryen in <laughs> Game of Thrones has her dragon eggs. This guy had his dinosaur eggs. So he takes them back to whatever small town he lived in. It probably Southern California somewhere. Um, takes them to his like antique fossil slash rock shop or something <laughs> and hides them in the back. Put, keeps them in a cooler, like a like an igloo cooler. Some customers come in to get some stuff and accidentally swap coolers. So now this family who own a a, a grape farm and and more specifically a raisin farm. <laughs> it's real real odd specific note that they have a raisin farm. Um, they uh, they take these this cooler home and they the kid the young kid finds these five dinosaur eggs and with the help of his golden retriever hatches them and uh, cause the golden Black retrievers ensues, the golden retriever is going through postpartum depression because they had to just give away a, a, one of her litters. So she's extremely maternal with these eggs and kind of lays on them, you know, like mammals would instinctively. And uh, with her body heat, provides enough heat to these ancient eggs to help them hatch because that's how that would work. And, <laughs> And so these five different dinosaurs hatch and they're these pygmy versions, like fully matured versions of these dinosaurs, but they're pygmied and they're really these real like, you know, animatronic puppets things there. Anyway, as a kid, this uh, and and then the family like has this problem where they want to they want to keep the dinosaurs. But this guy's on a violent like spree to get them back. Like he 
if it, it gets it, wackiness ensues, but wackiness with like the threat of gun violence ensues. It's a really intense movie for a child. So as a kid, I rented that movie all the fucking time. Like my dad had a job where he would have to pick me up from from daycare or the, or whatever, and then go back to work, and I would have to be. Luckily, his job had this really badass like break room that mm-hmm. had like a ping pong table and a, a TV with a VHS player in it or whatever. Right, and like. Uh, I have these really, it's, it's, it's kind of like bittersweet. I have these like fond memories of going like him picking me up from daycare, going to the local video store, renting prehysteria or like the, the super Mario brothers movie or the, like, what's the, what's the, uh, what's the super, uh, Nintendo super Mario three one. Oh, the wizard. the wizard. Yeah. The wizard. Yeah. The wizard, like those movies. And, getting a pizza and going and sitting in that room alone while he worked <laughs> watching these movies and eating pizza. This is the dad and like, episode. And, <laughs> and, and like, like I truly mean that these were kind of fond memories. It's only no, in no, reflection I, of, of being an adult realizing like, Oh, this is kind of a, it's kind of sad. There's <laughs> like, some sadness in this. This is a it's sad. Anyway, you so enjoyed that's, it that's that movie. Yeah, that that movie holds like it has this real solid place in my memory sure. for being this uh, this movie that was like I could watch it all the time, whereas I couldn't watch Jurassic Park all the time because Jurassic Park's scary. But uh, Prehistory is awesome. It's so much fun. It's so fucking weird. It is. It's got stupid humor. It's got this kind of child movie logic that makes no fucking sense. Like for some reason it's stuff that like a screenwriter just had to felt like they had to do something here. So they do it. Mm -hmm. For example, they have to eventually name the dinosaurs. So because it's the MTV generation, they decide to name all the dinosaurs after popular musicians, but not necessarily popular, popular musicians of exactly that time. I think it. I think it stems from that they really, really wanted to name the baby T Rex that hatch, hatches Elvis. I was gonna say the king, because he's the king. Yep. And then from that, they expound upon one of them's named Madonna. One of them's named Jagger. I think one of them's named uh, Hammer. One of them's named Paula. I think that's all of them. I wow, think that's, that's five. Pretty dated. Um, it's extremely dated. Like the first, the first three I could kind of give it because Madonna was kind of timeless even by the '90s, right? But Paula, oof, and Hammer, like, and, well, and, and Hammer, yes, definitely, yeah. Um, e- even Jagger is like, what? D- did kids in the '90s listen to the Rolling Stones a lot? Like, no, but it's a cool I name, man. And kids in the sure '90s were all about Free Jack with Milo Estevez and Mick Jagger. Sure, like I like Free Jack. It was a cool movie. Shut up. Sure, I've never seen it. Um. But, uh, so like that, there's a Blu-ray of Prehysteria out there. So if you are listening and you think that it sounds like your kind of movie, uh, I fully endorse it. I think it's a great fucking movie. Prehysteria 2, mm-hmm. also amazing. How many were there? At least two. Did they ever cross over um, with the Dollman series or Demonic Toys? Because I know Full Moon liked to do that shit where like Dollman would fight Demonic Toys. Maybe they fought Prehysteria. No, this isn't like... Uh, Ginger Dead Man fights Killer Bong. Prehysteria 2 is great because it combines the success. <laughs> it combines the success of the premise of Prehysteria uh, being a kid version of a ripoff of Jurassic Park with Richie Rich. <laughs> <laughs> so in this version, 
it, it involves almost none of the characters from the previous film, except those specific dinosaurs, sure. who somehow find themselves on a train or something, <laughs> like on a on a cargo train, and they get shipped somewhere, and a a, a spoiled like rich kid who's also like despondent and like separated from his his like his parents are never around they they just buy they try to buy his love right. with expensive toys and all this other shit they, they were they were they were at work and and left him with some dinosaur movies to watch and a pizza yes Ex- well <laughs> sorry it was right there gulp um <laughs> uh, so he uh so he finds the dinosaurs mm-hmm. and keeps them and has to, and, and a big part of this movie, these movies all the time is like, you have to keep the dinosaurs secret from your parents because they won't understand. Um, anyway, this, the movie's amazing because not only does it have awesome robotic dinosaurs, but it also has like <laughs> all these bizarre, sp- like again, mid early to mid nineties things that a kid would think would a rich kid would have. Right. Like if you remember Richie Rich, <laughs> I like remember that the McCauley Culkin movie. Oh, what? I remember the McDonald's in his house, the go-to. That's for, what I was yep, going to reference. He would say. have a McDonald's in his house yep. because that's, that's how kid logic works. Um, right. This one is things like, I think he, the kid has a enormous train set, like a model train set. Um, he has like, I think it's like a bouncy castle in his bedroom. He has like arcade games. He's got like all this stuff, but what he doesn't have is friends. <laughs> so basically the toy from the early, earlier in the eighties. Right. Um, so question for you then, if you could have your pick of pygmy dinosaur, which would you want? I would just want my dog. I like my dog a lot. Okay. But that's not the question. Well, I think the question is, Depending on what would I, what okay. characteristics of a, of a dinosaur would I prioritize? Right. Okay. If you could turn oh, for, your dog a pet, into a, a dinosaur, companion. what would you want it to be? I would keep her the way she is. Oh my god, <laughs> she's she's perfect. <laughs> I'm uh, I I don't I don't know. I mean, like, uh, it's a weird question because okay. like I I. <laughs> That's fine. It's a weird question. It's fine. It's fine. Well, what what. What do you think the the criteria would be? What's your favorite dinosaur? Well, that's a different question. Well, that's um, the new question that I'm asking you. I don't know. I don't think I ever really picked one. Oh, yeah? T-Rex. You know, it's it's just like, who cares? Like, it's that kind of <laughs> thing where it's like, like when kids say, yeah, my favorite color is red. It's like, because I, I don't really care. I feel like it um, describes a person who has, you know, if they have a favorite specifically. Like, I was I was always down with Grant in the movie when he said the Triceratops was his favorite, because the Triceratops had always been my favorite. I never really stopped to think about why, but I think it was just a friendlier, <laughs> more approachable dinosaur. It wasn't terrifying with the T-Rex. See, see like, I guess I, it's not that I had never considered it before. Mm-hmm. It's just instead of, I, 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 I didn't necessarily bother to stop and think if I could choose my favorite dinosaur. I just bothered to think like, should I? And my answer was always no, because I love all of them. And that's why I mean, like what would be the qualification for an unfavorite dinosaur? And I think if you can answer that, that really does say something about how much you like dinosaurs. What's your unfavorite dinosaur? I don't have one. Fuck you. Okay. Um, I, I I think that like, 
Okay, I think I've always kind of hated, like, I've hated dinosaurs that are like, uh, like the Allosaurus. Mm-hmm. Because the as far as if I remember, the Allosaurus is a very similar to a T Rex, like in in is in it? shape. I thought Allosaurus sure. was like a a smaller Brachiosaur. Oh, is that right? I have no. Which I, one am I thinking? Uh, I'm, of? I'm going by Jane Yolen's uh, "How Do Dinosaurs Say Goodnight." You're probably right. I might be mis misspeaking. Well, I'm going to look right now. Hurry it up. Um, no, it definitely, it, it's, it's, you're right. It's a smaller T-Rex. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. Um, so I always like, I didn't like those because like as a kid, it's really hard to understand how evolution works mm-hmm. <laughs> and how these animals may not have existed at the same time, but they may have enough genetic like difference or stereotypical like difference to be like the descendants of, or the predecessors of different dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. I really don't know. I've never looked into it enough, but I think like, to me, it was always like, well, like, I would think of it narratively. Like, why would you pick to have the Allosaurus in the story when you could have the T-Rex? That doesn't make any sense. Just pick the T-Rex. Right. Um, like, I mean, why, why do you need seven different types of sauropods? Just get the Brachiosaur. Like, just get the get the big one. Get the big name. Right. Um, so, so I think, like, things like that. And, and Jurassic Park didn't really bother, like, putting a lot of that stuff in the stories. Uh, like, waste time with offshoot versions of the dinosaurs they would go pretty hardcore with the, Name with the big names yep yeah like like the big one of the big pulls of the second movie is that you finally get stegosaurs like they have a big stegosaurus like aspect you also have the uh pachycephalosaur is that his name the the bald head friar tuck um pat buttram's what they got huh pat buttram who's that didn't he play Friar Tuck in the Disney Robin? No, he played the Sheriff of Nottingham. No, that's that's what the guy, who, the big game hunter in, in Lost World Jurassic Park, how he refers to this dinosaur. Oh. Uh, I, it's uh, law. I, like, I remember seeing the Lost World when I worked at Suncoast and sold it. That's my memory of Lost World. Okay. Well. I feel I've seen three more recently than I've seen two. Three has its moments. It has the talking raptor, right? It has, well, it's a dream sequence. I know it's a dream sequence, but it's still, like, even if that's a realistic, (laughs) right. Alan. Sorry, that's what it says. Even if it's a realistic dream, it was ridiculous in camera. I've I've camouflaged this area in in T-Rex urine. None of the other dinos come near it. How did you collect T-Rex urine? You don't want to (laughs) know. And scene. Okay. There's two type of boys in the world. Boys who want to be astronomers. Boys who want to be astronauts. That's the only, that's another part of that movie I can't unremember. <laughs> anyway, okay. I feel like this is this is a dangerous book for us to do a podcast about because I'm just going to talk about the movies um, <laughs> and other movies in general. Anyway, Prehysteria 2 is also <laughs> great because it... It, it it you just get lost in this really crazy like sad world of this sad rich kid who now has dinosaurs like i think it's a it's a cautionary tale for children about you know be grateful for what you have because look at this kid he has everything you wish you could have and dinosaurs and he's still unhappy right. so maybe that what's really making him unhappy is something else and maybe you as the kid watching could figure out what more about what it is that's really upsetting you and try to fix that thing 
So, prehysteria. <laughs> That's my note. We can we don't have to ever bring it up again, but it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you for indulging and letting me talk about prehysteria. Speaking for the audience, you're welcome. That brings us to chapter 13. Airport. Okay, my only note was is I found it very interesting that uh, the contact is, is, is only ever labeled the man, like they're trying to keep it secret. Who, Nedry? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't understand necessarily why that was. Um, I mean, does that need to be a mystery? They, they... I think it. I think it's more trying to identify that he didn't really introduce himself. There's a moment where Grant mentions that he recognizes that he didn't shake his hand. Well, that's um, just because he was chocolate covered. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but again, what? He's Brody. <laughs> Grant is always, always on the lookout for the stink palm. So, so, so you're saying... Uh, Grant is Michael Rooker. Yes. <laughs> I I thought it was more of a recognition of how uh, distant and like disinterested Nedry was. I didn't. I forgot about the chocolate. I no, guess. but I mean, just the airport is just Dodson meeting Nedry at the airport. Oh, that's the scene I'm talking okay. about, and how he's meeting oh. his contact, and they never call. He's not meeting Nedry. He's not meeting a computer programmer. He's meeting the man. Oh, okay. And yet there's enough so clues that, that the man is eating chocolate, and then Grant sees chocolate later. And, right. And it's very much just, why Why did we do this? Why didn't you say I'm meeting the computer programmer, Nedry? He's my inside source. Probably because this book was written for people who have never read it before or seen the movie. I guess, maybe. Because there wasn't a movie, and but, maybe the first time you read this, that is a mystery. But so, And so... He's eating chocolate, and then Grant later noticing chocolate on Nedry's hand is supposed to be an aha moment for the audience. I think so. Okay. Maybe, maybe. I, I just don't see why we need that late in the game mystery, but sure. It's. I think it's more like that. The part where, when when Ron Weasley says that he saw that Tom Riddle got a special uh, award of recognition and then he makes a joke about, yeah, probably believe for killing Moaning Myrtle. And then it's like, it's exactly what he got it for. <laughs> That's a good point. I forgot about that. Good writing. Good writing on them books. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a masterpiece. Um, okay, that's it. That's all my note. Yeah, my note, my, I had an overview that was just great scene. <laughs> I enjoyed this. That brings us to chapter 14. Malcolm. Yay, Dr. Malcolm's here. Uh, my page note for this chapter is on page 74. It's definitely got to be before mine, even though mine is different than yours. Okay, so this is a this is a rough one. Okay. This is a quote. We expected to banish paper, but we actually banished thought. And I just thought, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and this guy, this guy didn't even live to see the full extent of the damage social media would cause. Uh, 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 I mean, that would be, I'd be very interested to see what Michael Creighton's view of our current situation is. What parallel yeah, it, he would come, what he would create out of this. I'm starting to think that Michael Crichton was really smart. Yeah. You know that way. You know what you know what futurists are. Mm -hmm. I feel like he might have been a futurist, um, in that way where you can predict where the world's going and 
work to position yourself to be in an advantageous position for that inevitability. Because right. it's not just and saying there's going to be flying cars. It's accurately predicting how people will react to flying cars. Yes, and what they'll need in response to it. Mm-hmm. And in this part, like, keep in mind, this book was written in the early 90s, late 80s, whatever. Sure. Like, back then he was talking about eliminating paper. Back then he was talking about how that would eventually make people stupider because they wouldn't have to think as much. They would just be able to react. And now we have a fucking population of people who only know how to react to things like children. And and that's how they operate. We, we don't have a overwhelming like quantity of adults anymore. We have a lot of old children who are uh you know like who throw temper tantrums and think that that's being thoughtful i'm guilty of it yes you are um it's uh <laughs> but but you're you're guilty on it on a micro level like yes. you you're um on a macro level i think you're you're pretty good uh it, it seems like that there aren't but but like that's what blew me away about this moment is like what a salient like prophetic comment because we are we are living in that time where our i mean this this podcast is gonna i'm gonna reflect some of my own political perspectives on it and i don't know if you're comfortable doing that but yeah we have a we we have a moron for a president who does this exact thing this is his entire shtick is being stupid being a thing that encourages reaction and he's been incredibly successful at it and what a horrible role model for people to help set the tone for how they should behave in life. We don't need more people like that. We need more people who are measured and controlled and and thinking about, you know, tough concepts and how to solve them and then like willing to sacrifice parts of themselves to achieve them. And I think that's kind of like what Michael Crichton's talking about that we've lost or we will lose here. And it's fucking depressing. I, I'm sure if like I watched uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers a couple days ago, mm-hmm. and I was watching the special features for it, and they talked about how, uh, in the special features, somebody was talking about how the guy who wrote it, whose name I don't remember, apologies, the main like crux of the point of that book is to talk about like the death of small-town America, the death of small business, the death of like people who know each other. Like it's he, they, The way they talk about it is it's like the movie and the story is about living in a big city, living in a big collection of people and how you're surrounded by people and you know, nobody you're surrounded by more strangers than you could count, but you're alone and how that isn't how he like used to think of America, like how America, he felt like used to have this, there was a period of time he believed, or he felt like we had that we, we had small communities people knew each other people worked together to succeed and to accomplish things um and people knew each other's names and maybe it's not even just america maybe it's just society had this smaller town feel for a while Mm -hmm. and that when that's lost you get more isolated even though you're around more people and so that's kind of what body snatchers is about is being afraid of all these people you don't know because they could be anybody they could have any agenda and you wouldn't know because they're strangers right that kind of feels like the same thing Crichton's talking about in this brief moment is alluding to the dystopian future that we're, that is our dystopian present where people aren't interacting in a productive or small, meaningful way. (sighs) 
Uh, I didn't have a note anywhere near as deep. <laughs> it Sorry. was um, merely... It's kind of my problem with this chapter, in fact, and I don't even know if it is a problem because later I even talked myself out of it, but it seemed weird that Malcolm gave his paper detailing the failure of the park to everyone, and it doesn't mention dinosaurs, and Ellie and Alan are kept in the dark about there being dinosaurs, but as I as I continue to read, it, it, it stood out that Hammond could still be cagey and calling it a game preserve. And Malcolm's paper referring to it just as such, and and that it didn't it did, it became less of a of, of a sticking point for me. So that was my kind of non note. I think I was looking for the same thing that you're talking about, like looking for the first time they get an inkling that there are dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And I think I had the same thought about Malcolm's paper, but I'm fairly certain I don't know if Grant actually gets to read it. I know he hands it to everyone. So that'll keep I don't know busy. if there's any. I don't know if there's any, maybe, I don't remember. I, I, I would have to re- look at that again, but. but well, just the way I, he speaks and talks about math and like, right. he talks about the history of things and I can see the paper being very similar. Like, well, to talk about this concept, we have to go back to this concept. Anyways, right. now with this concept, I can describe this concept and to summarize, that's why it won't work without ever mentioning the right. word dinosaur. Right. Yeah. He, he basically, his main com- like uh, issue with why it won't work is that it's just too big. It's yeah. just too complex which isn't very specific at all no but that's the problem that's that's why everyone's frustrated with him because right he just says oh it won't work because be specific why and it's too big well yeah it's, it's too yeah it's, it's too many it's a complicated system yeah. that's what he says it's complicated systems are just that the way for me to simplify a complicated system to you is to call it a complicated system <laughs> it's a Rube Goldberg machine that has so many invisible moving parts that you couldn't possibly understand why they're all making sense the way they're making sense. It's the same idea behind weather, as he mentions. Like, it's so big. There's so many things that are all happening and are all, like, putting different kinds of pressure on the same realm that there's just no way for me to break every single point down to you and explain it to you in a way you'd understand. It would take a computer model to do this, and I don't have that. It's 1986, mm-hmm. like or whatever, like, and we're in a helicopter. <laughs> so you're just going to have to accept that because big systems don't usually work unless they're part of nature, this system won't work because it's against nature. Absolutely. See, I fucking get it. Jeez, Sadler. Um, or, jeez, Gennaro, because he's the one who I think doesn't really get it. Then that brings us to chapter 15. Isla Nublar. Uh, my, my overview is just that I think I liked Grant's first time seeing a dinosaur in the movie better. Uh, Well, that's not till chapter welcome, isn't it? No, this is the very end of the chapter. I think it says oh, that he right, sees okay, the... You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm sorry. He sees the um, dinosaur head popping out of the, and he goes, "What? Why does that stump have a head?" I mean, that's. Um, I feel like if if you have Spielberg, right, and, and you know, young eager Spielberg making your movie, that's always going to be better than the book, no matter what. That is that moment is perfectly suited for showing visually. Yeah, but even the way it's and done, so many little things. Yeah, but but in the in the in the movie, they're like they like. It's just so much better. They just drive up on it, and it suddenly it's right there. Well, but it's also and, it's also and, we're showing reaction shots first, so we get yes. thirsty for whatever they're looking at. 
Right. And, and it, I mean, that's his language. That is, that is his, he is all about reaction shots and like, what the fuck are they looking at? Oh, and now you're primed for it. It doesn't even matter if <laughs> the effect is not that good, which it was, but I mean, yes, you're, you're kind of sold it before you see it. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, gorgeous. This, this one felt a lot like, again, and, and Spielberg is smart enough to utilize these visuals again later when, uh, Lex and Tim and Grant are in the tree mm-hmm. and the heads of the Brachiosaurus pop yeah. up. It is good. It is a good visual, but coming up over the hill, it was, it, 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 you're right. The movie was better done. <laughs> I didn't say it was, was better. So in this moment, it was better, was better. done. Um, I pronounced bad. You did. That brings us to chapter 16. Welcome to Jurassic Park. No, not yet. <laughs> well, that's what he says. <laughs> I know. I don't have any notes on this. I just wanted to say that. I, I did. I'll just point out now because I'm seeing it on the page. I'm like, I like that. Welcome is uh, followed by Proceeds. chapter Jurassic Park. Yeah. Uh, eighty-eight Kindle page eighty-eight. Anyway, Apatosauruses. I enj- I liked that the first actual introduction of a dinosaur was the dinosaur from the Jurassic. Oh, nice. It seemed like uh, um, I, I think they mentioned. It. I certainly wouldn't have caught that myself, but it's they didn't because I feel like Jurassic Park had dinosaurs from different eras they, yes. they didn't really care they just lumped them together because they were famous but the first one they showed us he made sure to make make it jurassic right that's cool that's my note pre-cambrian what uh that was so i also watched tremors 2 a couple days ago <laughs> and they, there's a they they reference a lot that the 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 graboids are Precambrian organisms, which means that they're like older than dinosaurs. So that was just a joke for me. <laughs> Clearly, because I, I didn't know what that meant. I don't watch David Attenborough. I'm sorry. I don't know your nature talk. I, I, yeah. Is that why Richard was in this movie, do you think? Are they related? They uh, are related, right? Yes, they're brothers. I, well, I wasn't sure. Do you think that's why Spielberg well, wanted someone closely tied to nature documentaries to be in this movie? No, but my uh, my dad uh, my dad has this great theory about there's this line in Jurassic Park where in the, in the movie where there uh, where Hammond is describing the cars and all the and the things that are great about them and he keeps talking about how they spared no expense mm-hmm. and he he mentions that they're like their voice narration for the tour is uh, provided by I think he says the voice talents or the narration is provided by Richard Kyler I think mm-hmm. is what he says. And then he chuckles and says, we spared no expense. And my dad always thought that that was a, de- a deliberate sort of like j- jab at his brother for for not not being the voice they chose, despite being a world famous naturalist and documentarian. Interesting. Yeah. I thought I remembered them mentioning that in the book. Maybe they did. I don't know. They, they will like, have. They, they haven't yet. I thought I thought there was a direct reference that they actually went and got the guy they talked about in the book to do that. Ah, uh, so we'll see. Sweet. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but it is an amusing idea. Anyway, enough about you. Not that's your fucking homework. You should watch a, da- a David Attenborough something. Oh my god! I'm sorry. I mean, it's, it's, can, I, can I watch just... the American dub where it's like Oprah, Oprah Winfrey? No. <laughs> oh, and and not the Sigourney Weaver, and not the Alec but I love Baldwin Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, but it's not. It's not. It's not the point, dude. You have to. Uh, it, <laughs> you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything, but if you're going to watch films with the original 
foreign language audio and read subtitles because that's the way the movie should be experienced yeah. then you really shouldn't listen to Oprah or Sigourney or Alec Baldwin you should listen to David fucking Attenborough he's amazing alright you're not wrong the monarch butterfly god dude you fuck anyway um, <laughs> it's just so good are you done with chapter 16 yes then let's get into chapter 17 third iteration Jurassic Park I only have an overview. I like the extra fortification of the hotel. Mm, me felt, too. It felt like good um, tone setting, you know, atmosphere, ambiance. It uh, made it creepy. And Show I, don't I also, tell, dude. He's fucking doing it. I also, I, yes, and I absolutely love the um, unfinished nature, how there's like wood stacked up in Grant's closet. I'm like, that's a, that I could totally just open and be like, what the fuck? I didn't even bring any clothes, but what the, f- I don't want this. I, I also it. like that he like doesn't he turn on the TV to like a channel and it's not set up. Yep, all static. I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking great. It it's so good, man. It's like <laughs> it's 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 showing and not telling so many things. There's all this foreshadowing of maybe things here aren't actually running smoothly yet. Right. Like maybe it's not actually ready to go yet. And it's all, I, it's all it's, those kind of things where you're like, am I just nitpicking? Am I just going to be the naysayer? I don't want to be the negative person. I'll just shut up about it. And really, it's like, no, this, all this shit should be commented on. This is exactly why you're mm-hmm. here. Your park ain't ready. Right. Um, What's your yeah, overview? I totally agree. I love that stuff. Um, I just I think my overview is basically just that we're at chapter 17, and I still kind of feel like we're just getting to know our characters. Yeah. Uh, it just feels like it's... I guess I'm not really disappointed. It just feels like I'm ready to go on the tour. Like I'm ready to get to the like the really actiony shit. Sure. And I love Jurassic Park and I've loved all this like setup. It just also kind of feels like I want to get to the thing. I'm 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 anxious. Um and I I love all this, but again, I'm just uh champing at the bit. But it's it's also been like at this point I think it's also been two chapters since they picked up Dennis. And mm-hmm. they didn't explain where he went and they, they didn't reference where, where he was or where he was going at this point. I think you're wrong. Oh, am I? Cause I, I, thought, I think they I, do later. I, I thought this too. Oh, okay. I, and this is this. And, and, and cause cause I came at it from a different perspective and I wasn't understanding why he was on the tour. Oh, and, and I'm like, oh, he's never been to the park in the book. Right. He, he, that's, that's what it was. He, he did all this stuff off site. And then when they implemented his shit, they're like, there's a lot of bugs. He's like, of course there was, I've been off site. And so that's what this is the, he hasn't been no. anywhere. He's never been there. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is they didn't explain where he, they went to their rooms. They didn't explain where he went out of the helicopter. Oh. He was on the helicopter and they didn't explain where he went. So my thought was like, where is Dennis? Like we know where we know where Grant and Sadler are. We assume Malcolm's getting the same room. Does Dennis have a room like this? Like all these, I feel like just this. I, yeah. Just I, a, an empty space there of information. And then it's, it's gotcha. filled in later when they go on the actual tour and he's there. So it's like, okay, he's still around. He's not like, he hasn't like dipped away and we're going to remember that we forgot about him. So no, I, I didn't mean to jump the gun there. I'm sorry. No, you had a good point. Uh, Cause your point is also really bad in the movie. He's already on the Island. He's, been working on the island they make a big point in the last a uh, couple chapters ago of, of discussing how uh nedry has his his process of of knowing what the park's about and working on it and like talking about making those like uh the programming code that has six billion lines of code or whatever in it mm-hmm. and how that's insane and it's not a typo and all that other stuff 
Um, so yeah, he's definitely supposed to be where he is. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings us to chapter 18. When dinosaurs ruled the earth. Page 93. Don't have any page numbers, but some observations. All right. <laughs> page 93. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a direct reference to something Malcolm says. Okay. So you're going to have to reread this page to see the part I'm talking about. Okay. But I, my, my note is, yeah, Malcolm, uh, if you make a billion dollars in a year, you should pay taxes. <laughs> I would argue hundreds of millions, but yes. Yeah. Or $750. Sure. Specifically. Maybe even exactly. Yeah. What once at least once you should pay seven hundred and fifty bucks. Uh, my only overview here is, uh, I think at this point in the story, I think it's fair to ask you if you think that this is a horror story. I I think I would still label this adventure. Really? Yeah. Why? I say it's full horror. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a fucking monster movie. It's, uh, well, but there, monster there's... movies like King Kong could be adventure stories. What, what, what's the difference for you? Um, I think it's the kind of fear. I think there's the thrill of adventure and then there's the fear of death and fear of being hunted and, and the fear of being, of being eaten. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that like for me, this story and the movie specifically is all about the fear of being eaten and the fear of being killed. Not dying, but being killed. I feel like... like so it's, it's very much a prey thing, like I sure. think is what you're getting at. I feel like for me, horror... And this is why it gets... And I understand why it will get uh, arguable. But I feel like horror has a malevolent entity out to get you, to end you. Um, whereas adventure can have the same kind of stakes, but it's an animal, for example, doing what it would naturally do. And it's just hungry and wants to eat. And yes, there is some blurring of lines with the cleverness of, of the intelligent raptors, but that's why I kind of sheer more towards adventure because it's animals kind of behaving naturally as opposed to the, that book, the ruins where people are attacked by sentient plants plant vines mm. which are you know gotta get them just because they're bad i guess my question to you would then be is there is there any precedent for expecting natural behaviors from an unnatural animal and that's probably why there's a lot of gray area um there's no precedent no we we would have this is the precedent this would be the precedent right. setting moment because we don't know how they would uh, malcolm makes as much uh argument so like if I was a wa- like I was thinking about like you know you watch a movie like The Revenant mm-hmm. and there's a scene in it where he fights a bear but and that's not hor- that's not a horror scene it's a it's a terrifying scene it's an ad- it, but it's still a kind of like an adventure movie right. it's still like uh that kind of thing but like that's not the entire movie Sure I think though for me like I look at like Jurassic Park is the same as Jaws mm-hmm. and Jaws is a horror movie Interesting like it's a story about an animal or, or, or a specific large animal or a series of, of predatory animals hunting the protagonists that again, I think it, it goes down to the psychology of like preying on your fight or flight. Like it's preying on your, like on your, on your capacity to be both predator and prey. Sure. 
I think and I think me- that's what like one of those things about horror. Like it's it's no different than a slasher film sure. in that sense. Yeah. Like it's no different than than being chased by uh, Jason or or Chucky. I get that. I just don't think they're kind of constantly being hunted. There's a group of dinosaurs that hunt them, but the rest of the time they're running afoul of dinosaurs that are just hanging out and like, oh shit, now it's the T-Rex. The T-Rex, I never felt really hunt them. It chased them, but it doesn't hunt them. I feel them. like the attack at the at the paddock is kind of a, and, and there's there's very much, I mean. Well, that's running afoul it's not chasing of it, them. It's, it's not chasing them so that it can like, like give them a stern look. It's chasing them so they can eat them. Yeah. I know uh, the intent. That's why it feels more. That's why I think it hues more to adventure for me. That's interesting, but um, I, I guess it's just what we bring to it. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it also is like. I think that there's. I think that I've said I've you know privately argued this before, but the idea for me is that horror isn't really a genre. Mm-hmm. It is an element of storytelling. Um, it's not as it's like like mystery is a genre. Or like romance is a is a genre. It can, can be its that. own genre. It can, can also, it can also just be an element. But like, if you're writing a romance novel, if you're writing a mystery novel, if you're writing an adventure novel, a horror novel. I mean, I don't know how you or, or a horror story. Like, there's something else there first. Okay. Because you can have a horror comedy, and you could arguably have a horror horror right. horror romance, and there's certainly horror mysteries. Yes. So yes, would you I've call this a horror adventure? Yes. Okay, I'd be fine with that. Or, or or an adventure horror. I would always put the the genre first. That makes totally sense. Um, totally. Well, so I'd it, say it's, horror it's, comedy, it's, not comedy horror. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Because, but well, that's another thing is that comedy is the same thing. Like horror and comedy are on the same tier. Uh, so like, okay. like if you have both, you're really having like, it is exactly that. It like, Tucker and Dale versus Evil is a is like a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. Shaun of the Dead because it's. It's a horror comedy, right? Horror comedy. It's like the the idea that a thriller is its own genre. Well, it really, it it isn't. It's just an exciting drama. Yeah, it's a sl- it's a sloppy like, mystery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. Anyway, no, that's it's, it's, all. It's, I, I enjoyed that talk. It was good. Uh, yeah, that's that's stuff I've been I've argued for a long time. The idea that horror itself as a genre bugs me because it's like it it just uh, unless you're just talking about making a movie that's gross. Mm-hmm. Or a story that's just gross, which Jurassic Park isn't. But there's so much terror and so much fear and 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 fright in that movie. Right. I have a really hard and it's but I have a hard time not seeing it as a horror film. Now it's not demonic. It's not uh, sadistic. Right. It's not like uh, cruel. It is. It's just survival. Um. But but surviving can be terrifying. Sure horrifying even anyway that's my soapbox um my notes on this chapter were just i enjoyed uh malcolm's explanation as an extrapolation of what he said in the film uh movie so far is a very decent distillation of what is in the book just just seeing it from like a reverse adaptation kind of way it it was working for me i enjoyed it 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 felt like it was expanded and again I, i i i was enjoying that Crichton doesn't always take the easy way out um Malcolm in the Graph, for example, seemed yet another example right. of what I'm talking about, where he takes the he Mike uh, Crichton takes the planes to point out this complete setup of infant mortality and then has Malcolm just discredit it where another author, author would be like, see, see how I tied everything together. But Malcolm's like, no, that's not it. That's something totally different. And you're like, right. Shit, there's there's, there's some complex thoughts happening here. I'm not not that the book's necessarily the most intelligent thing, but it's allowing for 
nope, you're gonna, I'm going to introduce you to yet another idea. And I, I appreciate right. it. Me too. And, and, and then we also know that Malcolm's at least slightly wrong because we know we've seen a compie eat a baby. So right. in our minds, in our, you know, or in our guts, at least, we know that at least one dinosaur is directly responsible for at least one infant mortality death. And that's always hard to argue with what is effectively our um, personal bias. When, I think when, think when Malcolm's saying that it's something different, I think he's saying it's not related to the dinosaurs on the island. No, no, the I argument think... was dinosaurs have gotten off the island. And here's oh, okay. because here's yes. his, here's okay, his infant mortality rate in Costa Rica. And, and we know that's and Malcolm, right. Well, and Malcolm's like, yes, they definitely have. Your graph has jack shit to do with that. Okay, gotcha. And then, and then we're like, wow, he discredited it. But also we know deep down that at least one baby was eaten by a dinosaur. So it just adds this kind of... right. I have to think about well, one baby and at least in another child have been attacked by these yes. same dinosaurs. Right. So ergo probably all of them. Right. Maybe uh, at least possibly could be very much. So well, that brings us to chapter 19. The tour. My page note is on page 108. Mine's 104. Uh, Kindle page 104. Um, <laughs> uh, Lex. Uh, annoyed with her brother was copying her mother's most irritating stance. Mm-hmm. I'm watching you, Michael Crichton. I'm watching you. <laughs> That's all I'm saying right now. Because I'm just, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> That's um, all I've got so far. But I'm just like, maybe we'll have to have a discussion at the end of the book. Like, where, where do we fall? But I'm just like, hmm. Because again, Well, I think the question for me would be... Where- a kid would think it's it's something my wife does like and she does it playfully sure. like she she does it in a way where it's like it's a nonverbal way of communicating like hey mm-hmm. i'm still open to being playful but you're on like, like this is essentially a warning like this right. is a nonverbal warning that like if you go much further with this it's gonna not be playful anymore right and you need to be aware that this is me communicating that to you um, I don't know if that's how she does it, how Alexa is doing it, right. or Alexis is doing it, or how uh, her mother does it. Um, but I know that it really struck me as like, oh, my wife does that, and it, I know I know exactly what that means when it happens. Sure. Uh, I think though that another thing to mention here is that you earlier in the in the last episode mentioned that uh, there was something with Lex and Tim, and I, I was referencing their names, and you were like, oh, there's something that's different with yes. them in the movie, and I think it's their ages different. Their ages are swapped. What do you think about that? Don't care. Okay. Means nothing to me, at least. I mean, sure. I don't, it wouldn't affect anything to do with their characters, except that maybe Lex doesn't have the computer hacking skills <laughs> in the book. Right. Which I like in the sure. movie. Maybe maybe Tim has it and they wanted to flesh her out and give her something to do. I don't know. I honestly yeah, don't if know. Tim, if, if Tim is both a dinosaur expert and a computer hacker, then that's a bit, that's a lot for a one character to have when you have two characters that could right. have things. Like, why couldn't you make them twins and then have one be a computer expert and one be a dinosaur expert? Because that's a little Bobsy twin. A what twin? The Bobsy twins. What's that? The twins and their siblings who solved mysteries. Kind of like the boxcar children. Oh, well, I was thinking more of like a, a fun thing to talk about, like to add in another like reference to genetic oh, mysteries, you know, or, or things point. like that. Especially if the um, mom had had in vitro and that's why they were twins. Yes, that would be fucking great. Okay, good point. Good point. My uh, so my my one hundred eight is just uh, I I think this is the part where Tim acknowledges that he's kind of bored with the science stuff. Oh, and I think that that I, I think that that moment 
is really important because I think it's Crichton acknowledging that at this point his audience is also probably bored That's with exactly it. Exactly my note. For me, it's one seventeen. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, I said using Tim as a surrogate for audience boredom during the long exposition was really smart. I thought it was genius. Yep. So well done. Because, I, like I said earlier, like I'm getting to that point too. Like I'm ready for dinosaur adventure at this point in the book. Um, and, and I it, love all the other stuff. I, I love it. It's fun, and I I really like it. Well, but I'm it also ready. it's such a such a great. It's it, it's not just a kid reaction, but it it takes the audience there. You're feeling bored, but it, it the book has the wherewithal to encapsulate it for you. Right. Because I watched my kid today on uh, her birthday. We had, you know, socially distant grandparent visit and my my wife and my mother-in-law got to talking about a thing and we were all kind of standing around and my kid's kind of hopping like, I want cake and presents, which are right there. What are we doing? This is my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) And they were just having their conversation and it was one of those, you know, laminated conversations where you're like, oh, it's about to wrap up. Oh, another layer. Oh, it's about to wrap up another layer. And eventually we had to be like, no, 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 birthday. And... And, and, and so, and so I, it's such a great, um, bit of kid character building. It's, it's putting the audience in there, which are feeling that, but taking them back to a place where they can accept that the adults do run on, even if they're adults reading, it was fun. It was really well done. Yeah. I definitely think that the takeaway there is that, uh, when it's a kid's birthday, the thing that should be the, of the highest concern is the kid's birthday, (laughs) not, not anything else, whatever the kid wants to eat everybody eats whatever the kid wants to do everybody does it's the kid's birthday you should really focus on that you're not wrong <laughs> page 111 okay <sighs> oh that, am i good i actually think i'm going to go next because uh, mine's 118, which was one page after okay. my last note, which is right. effectively one page after your last note. Sure. Uh, the mist on the eggs. Mist on the eggs. They kept the egg room really, really humid and really warm. Yes. Because right. dinosaur eggs didn't have water. They took water from the atmosphere. Something about yeah. that. It just made me wonder yeah. if that's why there was all that mist in Alien. If that's just a thing about a certain kind of egg that I had never realized. I would love to know more about if that is a real thing. Or did they because just want a my cool question laser mist thing in Alien? Anyways, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, well, no, no. I, I think you're... I, maybe. My, my question would be, like, how would you know that about dinosaur eggs? Like... Oh, um... We know, we know, that, the, we know that the atmosphere at the time was had a much higher oxygen content. We know that that probably made the planet warmer. Mm-hmm. We don't know... Maybe there's things with crocodile eggs or... Or the other Maybe. creatures that they they mentioned earlier. I don't remember. But like birds' eggs aren't that way. No, that's true. I can't think of a single bird egg that it, I, I that is soft. Reptile eggs, yes. Reptile eggs are soft. Right. Oftentimes, like like if you look at snake eggs, well, you look at. I didn't think these uh, eggs were soft eggs. per se. They were just. It was about moisture absorption because they're still made from that plastic. They're not. I don't. I don't know. I mean, fair. It's it's confusing. Mm-hmm. Even the thing about them not having egg teeth mm-hmm. weirds me out. Yeah. Because well, that's something that both reptiles and birds have. No, they said that the raptors didn't have that. Why wouldn't the raptors have them? That I don't know. I, again, I, it, if that's a real thing, and I I don't know. Because um, remember, they did, say, they did say that the other dinosaurs did have them. 
Yeah. That was a uh, weird one. Just questions that there's no reason for us to have answers to and no real reason for him to have to give them to him. It's just like, it's curious. My next episode, I tell 121, at least in my picks. So what's yours? Uh, page 111, no lysine contingency. <sighs> at least so far. At least so far. I feel like there might be something like that still. It's just not come up yet. I'm Yeah, maybe, the, maybe I'm mixing the lysine contingency up with the way that they make them all female. Because that was the two ways that they keep the dinosaurs on the island. Right. Is one, they can't breed if they got off. Two, because they're all female. Two, they can't breed in the wild in the park, so they can't get out of control. Two, even if they did get off the island, the lysine contingency would kill them. Everything would be fine. And so I, maybe that's my problem is that I'm mixing them up. Well, it also could be that, you know, a book you have more room to spread out and he's already dumped a lot of exposition. So this could just come up in a line of dialogue later. But he does also bring up this added thing that I don't believe is in the film about irradiating the gonads. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I don't know why. It makes me wonder why that step was added and why it was omitted in the film. Yeah, if they're all female, what was the what's the point of irradiating the gonads? It's a good point. Yeah, it, it kind of seems redundant, maybe unnecessary. I'm I'm hoping that it either pays off or there's a reason why that didn't matter anyway. Right. Like something like that. Unfertilized ostrich eggs. That's what they use in the movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my, my next note's page 112. Okay. I don't... I don't know why the raptor behaved the way it did when Grant was holding it the way it, he was. Oh. That weirded me out. Uh, Dr. Grant and the raptor. I mean, he was... Okay, so... I have a vivid memory of not necessarily reading this book, but having read this book and discussing it with my mom and her absolutely hating this part because he was so indelicate with it. That's so funny. She read it very much like he was prodding and pushing and not, and they were like, put it down. You're distressing it. And he was just like, yeah, whatever. And just being full on scientist about it. And she did not like that. And that was like, I remember that takeaway from back when this book was new. <laughs> It's um, interesting because, like, when I read that, I thought about how, okay, uh, you have when you guys got your uh, your last dog, mm-hmm. did you guys go and pick her up yeah. from a place? Yeah. And when you did that, did you examine her? Yeah. Okay, so that's what I thought this was like. Because when I got my dogs, um, that's how I looked at it. Was sure. like when you go to pick up a puppy. When you go to purchase a puppy, you examine the puppy. You want to look for any sort of physical abnormalities that could potentially cause you problems as the owner and the dog problems on its health level down the line. Okay. So you want to look for things like, does it have a cleft palate? Right. Does it have uh, like some sort of like uh, extra toes or other mutations that would cause it problems? Does it have uh, problems with its its uh, its its you know undercarriage it's its genitals or its anus is there something that's going to cause it problems that are going to be painful and expensive mm-hmm. can it can it walk can it run like is it playful does it look happy things right. like that like you want to take in you want to look at it and observe it and take all this information in before you commit to like caring for this thing sure so I looked at that as like what he was doing with the raptor. Now, the funny thing is with that is you can't, it's much, in my opinion, it's much harder to do that with cats. Uh, cats do not dig that shit. 
even if they're baby so kittens was, who are just kind of mewing. I, I, I mean, it depends on the, the your reaction with cats, but I think that this raptor was written like a cat. Like it, like in my experience, even kittens, they will claw you. They'll climb all over you. They're much more like they're much more mobile than than dogs. They're much more like they have they have the the, the claws like the raptor does. Like mm-hmm. kittens are kind of scary to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, cats in general scary, but. The uh, so I, I thought it was interesting. I don't know why there was that comment about how it would just kill itself essentially with stress. That f- I, I it makes me wonder if that's a thing in animal husbandry or something. Maybe birds do that. I don't know. Maybe. But see, I I I, I see what you're saying. But Grant wasn't there to get a pet. He was seeing something he'd only ever seen in you know bone form before. And he was examining it. Was the same sort of examination, it, though. I probably expect. a lot more uh, invasively than you would. I feel like I feel like his touch were, was not gentle. I feel like he was going like like I know where the bones are and all this meat's in my way and I'm fascinated by that. And he was digging See, in. That's interesting. See, I I thought of it more like how if you saw someone pick a dog up by the scruff of the neck, it might look like you're being aggressive. But because you know how a dog's built, you know that it has a bunch of extra hair there, so or, or skin there, so it it actually can be picked up like that. I do know that because I have experience with dogs. He's I've, I've, I've only ever seen dog skeletons, and I've studied dog skeletons, and I don't know what they really properly look like. And then I got a dog. I'm gonna be doing stuff, and the dog's gonna be like, "What the fuck are you doing? That's not a that's that's a no no touch." Hmm. It, I will acknowledge that he definitely was not paying attention to the dog's signals, which right. is not a good idea, but. Uh, I still don't, I didn't read into it that he was doing something so violent or heinous that it would cause the animal to expire. That's the part that bum, that weirded me out. I don't think he, okay, I don't think he was caught going, he was affecting a level of anxiety as far as he understood. I think it might have been the creature at this stage is far more delicate than you yet understand and what you're doing is not okay. Oh, Gotcha. Yeah. Even okay, that's fine, but like that but the way they were describing it was like as if they have experienced these animals like spontaneously croaking because of stress. Well, they've been through that. They're scientists who've seen the animals but die. Why did that happen? That's my question is why does that happen? Because they're delicate. Especially the raptors who they have to help out of the show. That's not a delicate isn't enough of a description for me, I guess is what I'm saying. Like I, I want to know more about what what that is and why that's happening. They're narratively delicate. <laughs> the and that's fine. And and, maybe, and, sure. and hopefully it's something that they bring up later, but they're like, I've never experienced or heard of that happening with another animal, except, you know what? I have heard that happening with an animal before. Oh, really? Well, in, a, in the inverse, mm-hmm. uh, baby walruses will die if you don't hug them. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, it's very, it's real though. No, I um, believe you. If, if, if baby walruses don't get like cuddles or physical contact and that kind of socialization and like, if they don't have that, they will just die. Oh, well, that's horrible. Yeah, it's, it's pretty hardcore. <laughs> it's, walruses are the best. Baby walruses are the best. Hug, hug your babies. What's the takeaway? It's such it's like the ultimate maternal guilt trip, you know? It's like if you don't hug me, I 
die. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, that's that's all my notes. Okay. Well, well, I have one last note. That was because I, I saved it, even though it was a little earlier for me. I wanted to make sure you didn't have it. Um, Ian Malcolm. Hmm. Uh, asking about how do you know they're all female? Lift up the dancer skirts. Uh, he actually says. Does somebody go out into the park and uh, lift up the dinosaur skirts? It was yeah. written. The uh was written. And I'm like, that's so disconcerting. How did they know? <laughs> was, did he cast I don't know Jeff if Goldblum it's so much how- when he wrote the book? <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. He slurred. Uh, that, that was just like, whoa. It was just a very yeah. meta moment for me. I was just like, holy crap. See, I guess I wonder if it's if it's so much like... If it's more like that Goldblum just like has that capacity to affect that way and that was written for that affectation and it is good casting. I, or I, I like, think it might have just been a one off. Like he was like he was thinking like, uh, I don't know, they uh, lift up the dinosaur skirt. I, mean, it's a, I don't think I've seen him do it before. I doubt I'll see him do it again. But it was that moment. Just it was a it was a perfect Venn diagram of everything. Yeah, I thought it was really well written. I love the idea of it being because the way I read it unfortunately is informed by the movie so sure. i i understood it to be like a he's at a loss for words and i guess i'm just going to be kind of cruel about it or yeah. crude about yeah. it and say lift up the dinosaur skirts uh i i loved it yeah. i fucking this fucking movie's amazing um <laughs> yeah uh well i'm excited to get on the dinosaur tour what could go wrong oh oh we didn't mention that uh sam jackson's character showed up finally and, and so did uh bd wong's character mm-hmm Dr. Wu and uh, and Mr. Arnold have yep. shown up, and uh, Robert Muldoon has shown up. Um, all of our all of our pieces are in play. That redheaded guy was he in the movie? No, the PR guy. Yeah, I can't. Well, there the one, is, the one there who is a guy. The guy to to the very first chapter, the Dr. Rob Roberta Carter, that guy talking to her. He's he's also here. He's got a ball cap and red hair. They're always describing him. He, he's not in the movie. Is he the PR guy? I don't remember. There's a guy that they reference being a PR guy who who is like, I'm not even supposed to be here today, kind of thing. Like he he, he has that sort of angle. Okay. Um, but there is a guy in the movie who does wear a ball cap, and I don't know if his character has a name, and he does interact with everyone in sort of a standoffish kind of way, uh, where he he's there when they get off of the helicopter, they get into the jeeps and they drive over to the Brontosaurus. There's okay. a guy who is in that moment, but he's the one driving the Jeep. Uh, and I think he leaves them once they get to the main entrance of mm-hmm. the park, when they get to the, 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 the big building. So I'm, I guess I'm filling in that that's the guy for gotcha. me. That's what that guy looks like. In my head. Um, and I've been casting him this way in in the book because I think I think I was remembering that guy, but I don't know if it's him or not. I'm remembering him as the one of the FBI instructors from Silence of the Lambs, the one who right. who goes and gets Clarice at the very very beginning. Crawford wants to see you. He turns around. He's got the FBI hat. That's when you realize, oh, she's at the FBI Academy. That's the actor I'm Quantico. seeing. Quantico. Quantico. Uh, so I don't know. I'll have to look it up and see if my brain's trying to tell me something. I feel like the guy in Jurassic Park and the in the role I'm describing is not that sure consequential. Probably, um, probably it's the ball cap and the ginger hair I'm thinking of. Yeah, that's that's exactly why I'm thinking it's him. But who knows? Um, 
Well, I'm psyched. I'm I'm still enjoying it. I feel like this. Well, like in retrospect of reading these notes, it does feel like kind of a less than thrilling set of chapters. But I I I also read them like immediately after doing the last episode. Oh, okay. So like I'm I'm enjoying them enough to like like I had a really hard time not continuing reading further. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. Because I'm I'm I am really enjoying this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very excited to see what I what I expect to see and what I don't know is coming. Um, I'm excited to see the differences. As I said before, I'm still there, so I'm super ready to read and see how how this goes and if it gets terrifying. Excellent. How about you? Are you are you good? I am good. I, I yeah, I'm super excited. To see where it goes. I think that brings us to a new word alert. Yeah. All right, you ready? Yep. Sclerotic. 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 It makes me think of sclerosis, and isn't that like scarring? Wow. Um, it is sclerosis. It's an adjective meaning uh, of or relating to or affected with sclerosis. Uh, grown rigid or unresponsive, especially with age, unable to re- uh, or reluctant to adapt or compromise. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, like scar tissue. Sure. I'm thinking of, you know, multiple sclerosis. Yeah, I think you're right. So. Um, nice try. Wait, you nailed it, man. I, I'm. What's your words? Oh, that's it? You got what you got? Okay. I, I didn't have that many. I, okay. had, I had the one. Uh, well, then I've got... My first word is... Karam. I don't, don't... Don't ask me if I like the app, you ass. Don't ask <laughs> me again. Fuck you. You get no... You get no... Nothing. Karam. Karam? Like to be... Like to be knocked off kilter? Like to be... Like to be unsettled? Maybe. C-A-R-O-M. What does it mean? Uh, a shot in billiards in which the cue ball strikes against each of the two object balls. A rebounding, especially a rebounding, especially at an angle. Yeah, I'm right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. I feel like I've heard a like a bastardization of it, Karoom. Um, I've heard Karam before, but I, never I don't heard know it. in what context. Uh, well, Malcolm used it in this. I think I've heard like Karam off the. Like I've heard, like oh, it it uh, it caromed off of the uh, like object. Yeah, and exactly. Then that means I swear bounce. I've heard karoom, so that's why when I saw carom, I was like, I don't know what this word is because I'm expecting two O's. And Malcolm used it in some example, and I looked it up, and there it was. Oh, well, th- there it is. Teratogenic. Can you say it for me? Teratogenic. 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 Mm-hmm. No idea. Uh, also, in this book, there was substances. The warning: teratogenic substances. Oh, like poisonous? Uh, ter- it's it's from teratogen, which is of or relating to or causing developmental malformations. Since they're interesting, growing embryos, they've got chemicals in there. Uh, the last so one like was a carcinogen, a- kind of. 
but this is going like, to so more like thalidomide than, say, asbestos. Right. Gotcha. Okay, so the last one, also from this book, more of a phrase. White Hunter. Oh, yes. I did. I did. I've heard it before, and I never really understood what it meant, so I looked it up. What like 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 uh, Robert Muldoon mm-hmm. and the uh, uh, what's his name uh, from the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Quartermain, or like the guy in uh, yeah Quartermain, or like the guy, the bad guy in Jumanji. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I that 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 sort of like British uh, colonial all all. All colonial, all all khakied guy who just like goes out into the into the the dark continent and uh, hunts things. Almost exactly. Yeah. The term "great white hunter" emphasizes the racial and colonial aspects of the profession as well as its colorful aspects. Depending on the author and intention, the term can be used straightforwardly in parody or as criticism. Right. So, but big game hunter. White guy who, like you said, well, the colonial aspect is really important to me in terms, I, I, of, com- in terms of contextualizing. Sure, it. sure, 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 sure. Um, specifically, I looked it up because of Robert Muldoon, where I feel the book was saying, "White hunter, this guy is hunting big game. He knows how to track big game. That's why we have him here." But yes, no, you are absolutely right. Yeah, I, I took it as like, like if I had not seen the movie and didn't know what he looked like or how he was portrayed i would immediately call to mind like alan quartermain like the that image and that I- idea the jumanji guy was a great have, example you got the uh, the jumanji guy is the cartoonish version right, of that the slouch yeah. hat the blunderbuss the handlebar mustache i mean to an extent even the 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 murderer in the most dangerous game uh, I kind of imagine is the, is the same. But that might be I've... more of a holdover of the pest. Sure. <laughs> I didn't know there was a Scottish mob. But yeah, like that that archetype, I guess, um, mm-hmm. it's very familiar to me. Cool. This can't be your first time understanding. It's just like you, it was your first time reading that term to describe it. I understand it. the character, the, the archetype you've right. described. And I know there was like that, was it a... No, I'm thinking of there was a movie like a Clint Eastwood movie, White Hunter, Black Heart. So I understood that oh. was a thing, but I never saw it. I never really associated that term. Like I just thought it meant like I, I would I would break it down to its components. Like oh, it's a white person who hunts. There's also the the legendary uh, Nigel Thornberry, who is sort of the uh, opposite of that character. Yeah, in so that I thought he was a, rather a naturalist. Yeah, he is, but like. He's also a, like a bit of a buffoon. Like his thing is that he's not actually that adept at the things he's supposed to be doing. Is he voiced by Tim Curry? He absolutely is. Okay, that's like the one bit of Thornberries I knew, and I was hoping that was him. Yep. Because I think I saw an ad for the Wild Thornberries movie, one Thornberries movie, not Buddy, and I'm like, is that Tim Curry? And that's the extent of my knowledge. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um. Is that all your words? Yep. Sweet. Well, that was fun. Um, I'm psyched to get to the next episode. So do you have any f- closing thoughts? Nope. Uh, I've enjoyed. Well, yes, I do. I've enjoyed the book so far. Um, the exposition has been well done, but like you say, I'm ready for some action. Yeah. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. All right. Well, uh, I guess that was death readers. So uh, I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you.
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Podbean. These reviews might seem silly, but they actually help us out a lot. Check us out on Twitter, at Real Death Reader. If you want more Death Readers content, there's more available by joining Death Readers Patreon at www.patreon.com slash deathreaders. If you hate us and want to tell us how terrible we are, please send all hate mail comments to our Reddit account, you slash deathreaders. Okay. <laughs> okay. Shut up. That was, a, that was a very Brad Pitt laugh, by the way. That was very 12 Monkeys of you. Monkeys. Billiards. Billiards. No, not that. Shut up. You didn't hear that. Give me a second. I've never done this before. This is this is gonna be all chopped up. I'm sure you've got this. Nope. It's staying in. <laughs>